0: A good Monday morning to you. It is April 25th. Ryan Jesperson here with you. This is Real Talk producer john hicks on board we're going to be checking in a little bit later today a little bit later on this morning about a half hour or so from now uh, with the host of a new show that we're really really proud to be a part of called the hedge andrew walker is going to join us it's debut day today yeah it's a new podcast uh sports betting and fantasy and walks coming to us uh, after a long and illustrious career yeah as a national broadcaster in some big canadian markets calgary toronto vancouver uh, and here he is and uh, we're super excited John, you're going to be behind the controls of that, and that means it's been a very busy weekend. For, well, it's been a very busy number of months, but it's been a very busy weekend for you and for Walks, who we'll talk to in a bit.
1: Yeah, you threw me a bone. You said, hey, I know you want to talk more about sports. Here's a whole show and more work to do. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. And then we'll just keep launching like political shows. We'll ask you what else you maybe don't have a ton of interest in. And then we'll make sure that we cover that. Uh, We have stories that we want to lead with today in about uh, five minutes, five, six minutes time. We're going to talk to three individuals that uh, played a big role in putting together a private members bill in the Alberta legislature is called the anti-racism act, but it's, it, it's, it's going to flop. It's, it's stumbling right now and it's not probably not going to happen. That's just the facts. And we'll talk to the MLA uh, out of Edmonton, David Shepard, who was the one that put this for a private members bill. It's a bit of a different situation. We'll get into it. Why they think it was important and what message it sends. If it doesn't pass now, there's some nuance to it. We'll get into the details and a lot of other stories to cover too. I mean, uh, Emmanuel Macron, another uh, term, five years more as the president of France, a centrist who's uh, forming government. People are wondering around the world, can that actually happen? This is an interesting story, and he's not the only one, by the way, but a big victory over Marine Le Pen, more than people thought it would be by, right? And and a margin of victory where he says a a clear message, uh, told supporters at the foot of the Eiffel Tower, that now that the election was over, he would endeavor to be a president for all. That's his promise Uh, To the people of France, and of course, it's a story that uh, has bigger implications. Many people analyzing what they believed a Le Pen leadership would look like, what a Marine Le Pen presidency would look like in France. Uh, Some of the positions that she's taken on things, uh, described by many people as a far-right candidate, and people were concerned about what the culture of France might look like, but also... and. One of the quick notes I took of this, I don't want to get too off track because we haven't even talked about Elon Musk and Twitter yet. We haven't even I mean, there's a lot of stuff we haven't talked about yet. Uh, But people will say whether or not, uh, you know, Madame Le Pen, uh, you know, had a legitimate chance of forming government. You cannot ignore the numbers here. Right. I mean, she says even uh, despite her loss, her significant vote share still marked a victory. Macron winning uh, f- about fifty eight and a half percent to forty one and a half about a seventeen percent margin It was a bigger margin than was expected, but this was the same sort of a thing I thought um, and i don 't want to compare the candidates too directly, but maybe you could uh, when when Joe Biden won the presidency Donald Trump lost after that one term in office uh, he still received tens of millions of votes, and it 's still i think needed to keep the conversation open, needs to keep the conversation over, that there are significant uh, divisions amongst the population and significant support for politicians described as populists or, or what have you that may concern some members of this listening audience or some global citizens around the world, but not all. And I think that's why it's important to have conversations about the messaging that candidates are putting out, the platforms they're running on, the implications of what their leadership might be, and ultimately what message it sends uh, as an example, as our talking point today, when an election goes the way that it does in France. We'll get into Elon Musk and, and Twitter and everything else. If, if you've missed the news that's breaking just this morning, and we're doing this live, of course, at 8.30 Mountain, 10.30 Eastern Time. You may be hearing it later in the day, but it, it appears as though Twitter will be accepting Elon Musk's offer. It's an offer that hasn't budged, Johnny, since we talked about it. I think it was 11 or 12 days ago, almost two weeks ago. Uh, we came at him at about 54 bucks a share, Elon Musk, and, and, and you know i think the company's worth 43 billion dollars it looks like after a couple of weeks of negotiations behind the scenes i'm sure their teams have been hard at it looks like twitter's going to accept the offer
1: i know you told me this morning it sounds like a good deal for elon musk but i didn't think this was going to happen and yeah. now it might happen how do you feel about this
0: uh, i don't know if it's a good deal for for elon musk like like i kind of think Uh, wow. I'm just going off what I'm reading from the experts. Okay. (laughs) So, so experts like Megan McArdle, Megan's a a columnist uh, at the Washington Post. And she tweeted this morning, the first thing to point out is that this deal makes no financial sense for Elon Musk. She says he's paying a premium for the stock. The total value of the acquisition is almost a fifth of his net worth, which is a lot. And there's no obvious way he's going to squeeze more money out of Twitter operations. Megan goes on to say the carrying costs for the debt he's using to fund the acquisition acquisition are major, possibly as much as a billion a year. It's a bummer, eh, when your when your debt service costs are into the billions, <laughs> she says, even for Elon Musk, this is a lot of money. I know all the, you know, the the venture capitalists out there will say it takes money to make money, He's you know. McArdle goes on to say the Washington Post columnist. The second thing to point out is that it'll be much, much harder than most people think to remake Twitter as free speech incorporated. She says Twitter's moderation policies are more driven by its left-leaning customer base, the preferences of advertisers who don't want to offend that base, and the cultural preferences of its progressive junior staff as by the desires of senior management. She goes on. It's a longer Twitter thread, and I would just recommend you read her column in the Washington Post. It's a good one. I have an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll up, and so I'd be be—I'd love if you'd uh, chime in on it. Uh, put it out about a half an hour ago by way of my account at Ryan Jesperson. I just asked you, how will Elon Musk's pending purchase of Twitter affect your use or perception of the social network? And uh, we can check in on this now live. Let me load it up for you, and we'll see. I think we got about 500 votes uh, early in the process Uh, johnny which is good it usually means that we'll have good engagement on this through the day we'll leave it open for 24 hours just so everybody has a chance to chime in uh how will leon musk penning okay well i hear it see now i'm getting busted because i put this up on the screen but i'm signed into our real talk rj account so it's actually going to let me vote it's going to let me vote on my own poll let's
1: see your vote live
0: is that is that uh how do you feel well uh so the options we've given are love it great news uh not really sure or gross i'm out I suspect that many people saying "gross, I'm out" will be out for a while. Maybe if you leave Twitter, though, you realize you don't you, you don't need it in your life. Yeah. Um, I just realized we haven't even officially opened the show yet. I probably should get to that in a second. <laughs> so I don't think Happy that Monday. I'm not going with "gross, I'm out." I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna. No, but I don't want influence. I don't keep me off screen. I'm gonna vote here and keep me off screen. Okay. Now, the savvy folks know it's still going to show you which way I voted. But, okay, 496 votes in, uh, about a half hour in, uh, 53% of you say. I'm not really sure.
1: That would be my take, too. I mean, gross, I'm out would be number one because, you know, Twitter is just a cesspool, I think. but Twitter I,
0: didn't need Elon Musk to be gross.
1: No, but, hey. I think, <laughs> remember when uh, Dave Chappelle said, give Trump a chance? <laughs> I think I'm going to give Elon a, a week and give, see what he does with it. Give him that. a week and <laughs>
0: see what he does. So we'll see, 33% uh, early in this poll say, gross, I'm out. About 14% of you say, love it, great news. So uh, we'll we'll chime in and check in on that. So a lot to come up on the show. Um, and, and, of course, I want to tell you a little bit about the Alzheimer's face-off, this hockey tournament I had. Yeah, I want to hear about it. A chance to play it. in this weekend. Uh, scored the goal of my life No big deal uh, But more importantly Everybody there These volunteers Organizers Sponsors Fundraisers Players Trainers Unbelievable stuff 21 teams Raising more than 1.3 million dollars For Alzheimer's research Treatment and the like uh, Which is super uh, I mean it's just To be a part of something Like that How? Do, what do you say I mean it's just To be a small part Of something big Is a special experience This show happens Because we have The support of amazing Sponsors Like Bitcoin Well If you missed CEO Adam O'Brien on the show on Friday, you'll want to check that out. Uh, He was joined by Colea Carrington, and the two of them talked about the blockchain and Bitcoin, and you know, Alberta's future is sort of a tech innovation hub, drawing in investment. This was on the heels, the theme of it, the, the jumping off point was the Alberta Tech Symposium. And if you really get into it with people that are bullish on this stuff, you'd be led to believe that there's more than one source to manifest an Alberta advantage. You can find that Real Talk Roundtable on our podcast archive, on YouTube, or wherever else you find Real Talk. And you can find Bitcoin well under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
2: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: All right. In just a second, we're going to get to our uh, guests to talk about Bill 204. This is the Anti-Racism Act. This is one of the Alberta legislature. Here's the deal. You go, OK, well, what is it? What's involved? The bill essentially calls on Alberta government departments to collect race-based data. OK, and so we'll, we'll figure out or we'll find out why that matters and uh, why it's so important to David Shepard, the MLA out of Edmonton City Center. When you have an opportunity to table a private member's bill, it's a big deal Right. Those 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 don't come around all the time. It means that even if you're not in government, you have a chance to put something in front of your colleagues at the Alberta legislature for their consideration. And the odd time, even if the proposed legislation is coming from an opposition member, in other words, somebody that's not part of the party that's forming government, sometimes they can get passed with the support of the legislature, the support of the houses, they might say. That's not the case here. Some of those that voted against it, though, in this committee said it's noble. It's just not where we need it to be. So we'll find out why. Uh, Joining us now is the MLA for Edmonton City Center, David Shepard. It's good to see you again, my friend. It's been a while since our paths have crossed in person, but thanks for making time for us on this Monday morning.
3: Always a pleasure to join you, Ryan. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk about this.
0: You bet. And we're hoping in just a second to connect with uh, some of the folks that worked hard on this with you. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot goes into this behind the scenes. Uh, Still, the bill uh, deemed to to, to have not completed the actual consultation necessary to have the support of some of those in government. I want to ask you about that in a second. But first, you had a chance to put this in front of the legislature. You decided you wanted to put this anti-racism legislation in. You want... Uh, government departments uh, to be tracking race-based data. Why was this so important to you, David? Why was it on your radar?
3: Well, Ryan, this came out of months of consultation. So uh, just after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, we committed as a caucus with the Alberta NDP to start reaching out and speaking with racialized communities about their very real concerns in all areas of provincial government policy, which is pretty broad. So we held consultations over a period of about eight months. We talked to folks about health care, education, about the justice system, about economic participation, uh, being part of the democratic Process And one piece that came up consistently every single time was the need to collect race based disaggregated data. And the reason why is because whatever steps you're going to take to address issues in the system, you need the data to back it up, you need to be able to target where the issues are. You need to be able to bring concrete proof to the bureaucrats and the public servants, say, this is where the issue is, we need to fix this, and to be able to measure how that gets fixed. So the collection of race-based data, it's uh, happening in Ontario now, they passed legislation in 2017. BC has done a bunch of consultation, is getting ready to roll out legislation, Nova Scotia is beginning that process. So I also heard about this in my role as health critic, because I talked with many folks about the impacts of COVID-19 on racialized communities, and indeed a number of communities community organizations, including the Africa Center and End Poverty Edmonton, wrote to both ministers of health, Copping and Shandro, asking for that collection. They never did get a reply from either minister, but it's clear from the community that this is what they were calling for. So as soon as I had that opportunity to present a private member's bill, I knew this is what I wanted it to be
0: that's david shepard if you're just tuning in streaming us live on the mixler audio app the mla out of edmonton center it's also a pleasure to welcome to the show the president of the african-canadian civic engagement council that's a national public affairs organization uh, dunia noor making her real talk debut. welcome to the show thank you for being here with us uh, can you explain to us uh Ms. noor your involvement in, in putting this bill together why you believe that this is so important for the province of alberta
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Um, We have been always having these conversations, um, and we know the importance of the collection of race-based data. Uh, Even prior to the horrific murder of our brother George Floyd, um, and prior to the attacks on Black Muslim women in the streets of Edmonton, and prior to a lot of atrocities that happened this year, including the unmarked graves, uh, we've been asking for this for decades now. And the reason why is because we know that our experiences and what we share anecdotally sometimes would not hold weight in terms of making effective policy changes. And what we need is a data driven policy changes in all departments. Here's a question. Why is it that Black people in Canada are 3% of the population yet 10% of them are represented in the justice system? For Indigenous people, 3% of them, um, they are 3% of the population yet 30.4% are in the justice system and the adverse um, impacts in terms of the healthcare system. A lot of our women, especially as women of African descent coming from Somali heritage, we know that our women are disproportionately dying in hospitals, specifically they're having serious impact of heart failures and dying during childbirth. These things are not being collected. So whether it's the justice system or whether it's the healthcare system or whether it's issues around employment or housing, we need data we need the collection of data because that's the only time that we can effectively speak about the adversities that's happening to these communities that are typically racialized communities actually for most of the times Uh, to prevent communities from the collection of race-based data means that you're strategically preventing communities from having the ability to actually talk about what their real experiences are empirically and when I see that that itself is an act of systemic racism, it's reinforcing Mm -hmm. systemic racism, and it's, it's very dangerous, and it's very scary. And as our MLA David Shepard stated, Ontario already did it, BC did it. So, um, and Halifax is building on it. So why is it that our government, Alberta, is not willing to do this. Yet we are the third largest population when it comes to people of African descent, one of the largest populations when it comes to indigenous des- indigenous people. And you're probably wondering, Ryan, why I'm mentioning people of African descent and indigenous people quite so often as I talk about race-based data, because we are the people that have one of the most social determinants of um, the worst health out- health outcomes, and it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the, the, just a, a classic application of the numbers don't lie, right? And, and Dunia, with intent, uh, you mentioned uh, the black communities, you mentioned indigenous uh, communities. Uh, David, what sort of a message do you think this sends to people in Alberta that would identify with these communities? Uh,
3: this sends a message quite clearly that this government is not interested in addressing these issues. They're not interested in listening to these concerns from the community unless it comes from a UCP MLA or a UCP minister. And that's really unfortunate. I think we all as elected officials speak with folks in the community. We underwent, as I said, robust consultations that led to this bill. Hundreds of Albertans have participated in those consultations. We have spoken with folks across the province from a number of different groups. And we have very clear support from the community that is not based on partisanship. But what we heard from members of the committee is that they said, well, we don't have enough information. But yet we had three stakeholders there, two black women, including Dunya, and an indigenous man who were prepared to speak to this bill and their support. The committee refused to hear from them. They said that, you know, they're concerned about issues of privacy, but these members of this committee voted for government legislation that was opposed and that there were deep concerns from the Information and Privacy commissioner. So what we heard, unfortunately, was a lot of very thin excuses. The suggestion that their minister of multiculturalism, since he's talking with people and he's consulting with people, that's good enough and we should sit and wait for him to come forward and do something. So the message this sends to folks in the community, I think is a very troubling one about this government's priorities that they are not willing to do the work. They're too caught up in their own political drama and not willing to consider a bill from the opposite.
0: I I do agree with you that it's it's a tough look for sure. Um, it is, when, when we take a look just at the politics of it, I want to just ask, and I'll ask both of you, but David, you in particular, I mean, this is this is your wheelhouse. Um, this kind of, we see this kind of is how politics works or we want it to work. I, I think it's a bit of a throwback reference, but I think, you know, the, the former liberal MLA in your riding, Lori Blakeman, remember that Bill 202 relating to, to Gay straight Alliance's private members bill didn't pass. And then at that time, the Jim Prentice PC government, I think, Saw some value in it, and I. But I think you're like you know probably wanted to put their party's stamp on it. Created Bill Ten, which actually kind of blew up in their face. A lot of people said it didn't go far enough. I think of the conservatives at the federal level after Constable David Wynne was shot and killed in Saint Albert, right? And the conservatives put forward federal legislation that would uh, provide essentially judges with more information on people that had been on parole or that were facing bail hearings, things like that. The Liberal government defeated it or, or put a lid on it. a lot of people said it's because the liberals wanted to do it under their own brand. They actually ended up never delivering on that. Mm -hmm. We do see precedent in politics where where there may be value in a bill, but the government wants the credit, like you said. And that is just politics. It's not a good thing necessarily for the people, but it's just politics. Can you see this legislation moving forward under a UCP-led initiative? And would you be okay with it if it did?
3: Well, Ryan, I want what's what's best for the people of Alberta. I put this bill forward because I believe it's deeply important for racialized communities in the province of Alberta in addressing the very real problem of systemic racism. So I would be happy to see this policy pass, no matter who brings it forward. Yeah, if the government yeah. wants to bring it forward at another point. That's fine. I would support that bill if it came forward, but it's deeply troubling that they would dismiss the work that's been done. They would dismiss the voices of racialized communities and potentially who knows how long this could be delayed. We know how chaotic things are in the provincial front right now uh, with the uh, with the leadership review of Premier Kenny and other things. The likelihood of this getting forward as a government bill anytime time in the near future is pretty slim. Yeah. So that they would delay this for the purpose of politics would be deeply troubling. But certainly if they were to bring a bill forward, this isn't about ego. I would support it,
0: dude. Yeah, you're you're nodding your head. I mean, how familiar a person in in your role as a president of a significant size organization doing important work? I mean, how much does politics integrate into it? It's got to be no offense, David. I know you won't be offended, but but the wheels, the big wheels, turn a little bit more slowly than people would like. How do you manage the politics of your advocacy?
4: well for me especially as the president of the african canadian civic engagement council when we uh, if you look at our mandate is to protect and preserve and promote all people of african descent human rights and dignity so we are nonpartisan, and it's not this government versus that government regardless of what government is in place we will always advocate for our people we've done it in the previous government we're doing it in this government what we know and what we can say and if you look at our name it's civic engagement We always encourage people from our community to run for all parties and all level of government so that our interests could be protected because historically we know the issues of anti-black racism, issues of homophobia, issues of Islamophobia and various different issues. We're one of the most excluded marginalized communities. So to be very honest, at all times, we do take on a nonpartisan position and what we do is we always advocate for our people. When it comes to Bill 204, this is something that should have happened a long time ago. So at least it's happening right now. It doesn't matter who proposes it. And I guess that's me being a bit naive here. But what matters is we are the communities that's going to lose. And if you genuinely care, and especially for me, when I think about who's a good when it comes to great leadership and great governance, I think of a government that can collaboratively work together for the betterment of society. We saw this year uh, with the impact of COVID-19 and how much we desperately needed all levels of government and all different part- political ideologies to come together. This bill is. IS ONE OF THOSE THINGS THAT WE NEED ALL OF OUR GOVERNMENT IN you know, our government and the opposition and everyone working together because we know what happens to our community and it is unfair to politicize and um, have some sort of political competitions and we're gambling with people's lives. Unfortunately, a lot of governments have done this in the past and present and will continue to do it. And it's our community that loses at the end. And that's why we're a nonpartisan organization that will always advocate and stand in forefront of protecting the rights of all Albertans all Canadians and the most marginalized and the most excluded.
0: Uh, I want to ask both of you this question before I thank you for your time. Uh, Dunia, you first. People, I mean, sure, this this bill would require all government departments, as we mentioned, in the province to collect race-based data to report on key measurements around equity. Uh, It would create an anti-racism office and a commissioner to analyze that data and to keep an eye out for it, to to essentially flag inequities in policies, programs, and services. So that's what Bill 204 could accomplish in theory. That's what Alberta could look like from a government legislated standpoint. But there are business leaders, community leaders, organizational leaders, uh, people in community leagues people that run, you know, kids, sports teams or things like, I mean, you, you know what I'm getting at. I mean, we have a ton of community leaders that will be listening to this people that would do everything they can to impact positive change in their community to help manifest or create the type of community where everybody feels welcome and supported. So I guess what I'm asking you for is a call to action today. I mean, in the context of, of even tracking race-based data, what can organizational or business leaders do in their own realm, in their own sphere,
4: what I would say is, um, and there's a lot of people, Ryan, that are working behind closed doors that really are advocating for Bill 204 to be reinstated. For example, today um, we have a community, a large community that consists of uh, people of African descent and Indigenous people and uh, just people of color in general that are coming together um, in downtown. And we are going to advocate and we're going to put a strategy in place and we're even going to have a rally and we're going to demonstrate that this is. A important to us this impacts us it impacts our businesses our lives our livelihood and the collection of race-based data is something that is Alberta is behind, and finally, these conversations are taking place, and it's important. I would say for everyone to call their MLAs, to send them a letter, to have, um, to talk to their neighbors, to get involved, to bring people together. Uh, I believe David Shepard can speak to this better than I can. But there's something that's happening in May 2nd, which I'm sure David is uh, MLA David Shepard is going to touch on, and to come and and sit there and observe and be part of. Civically engage, um, Ryan. When it comes to Black people and when it comes to a lot of Indigenous communities, we're one of the most civically apathetic communities you can think of, and that and that's because we lost trust in a colonial system, in in governments that has legacy of colonization and enslavement. So, what I would, if you know, for anyone that's listening, especially for anyone that's from. THE MOST EXCLUDED AND THE MOST MARGINALIZED COMMUNITY AND COMMUNITY LIKE MY OWN, uh, PLEASE COME OUT TODAY AT 5.30 P.M., Um, CONTACT ME, um, REACH OUT TO ME. ALL OF MY INFORMATION ARE PUBLICLY AVAILABLE. AND LET'S HAVE A CONVERSATION AND What we're going to talk about is how to have a nonpartisan lens, but still advocate for this bill, because the importance of this bill is significant to the advancement of our communities. I would also um, engage, I would also recommend people to write letters to the premier and critically question why a bill like this has been shut down. Um, And I think that we just constantly need to mobilize and continuously protect the interest and dignity and human rights of our people at all times. And a bill like this explicitly actually states and aligns with our vision of where we want Alberta to be, a place that is safe for all and leading in terms of um, data and science and um, multiculturalism and protection of human rights and a safe city, a safe province and a place where everyone can call home and feel protected. And that is lastly making um, evidence pays decision making in all of its policies, programs, and services yeah. rather than one that's just a personal opinion.
0: Dunya, if people want, you're, you're saying people can reach out, contact you, and the like. Uh, is the best place for people that are listening to this on podcast, watching on YouTube, is the best place to send them is, is the website accec.ca?
4: Yes. Okay. And, you can, and our Facebook, and you will get my direct number and email there.
0: Sure, yeah, and people can reach out to the show talk at ryanjesperson.com and we can put them, point them in your general direction as well. Uh, David, we'll give last word to you then. So Dunya, that's from her perspective and from the advocacy angle. uh, You're the, uh, well you have been the government angle, you're the opposition angle now, you know how these levers are pulled so what's your call to action?
3: I think Dunya was very right. What we need is for communities to speak out. And she's right. For racialized communities, there is a lot of cynicism towards the political process and it's understandable why. These are voices that have been shut out of the process for so many years. That in itself is systemic racism in the democratic process. These are communities that have been politically exploited by a number of political parties for a lot of years, simply to get votes, to get power, but then disempowered and shut out once they do. And that's one of the really troubling things here is that we weren't asking that committee to pass the bill. We weren't asking that committee to absolutely immediately implement it. We just wanted that bill to have fair and open debate on the floor of the legislature to have that community conversation brought forward that Dunya, as Dunya said, her organization and so many others have been talking about for years. And now we finally had the opportunity to bring it to the floor of the legislature and the government MLA's from the UCP denied even the chance for just that discussion to hear from the stakeholders, to even allow it to be debated on the floor. But as Dunya said, there is one more opportunity. Uh, I anticipate on May 2nd that afternoon, we will have the opportunity to debate what's called concurrence. And that's where the recommendation from the committee will be brought to the floor of the legislature and MLAs will have one hour to debate whether or not they agree with that recommendation. So if uh, a majority of MLAs in the legislature were to decide that they did not agree with that recommendation from the committee, the bill will see debate. But that would require UCP MLAs and ministers to be willing to step up and speak against the political directives given to their members on the committee and be willing to listen to the people of Alberta, these communities, and say, no, this bill deserves debate. So by all means, I encourage everybody, reach out to your MLAs, reach out to UCP ministers, minister of health, the uh, minister of multiculturalism, any minister, in fact, reach out to the premier himself, let them know that you think bill 204 is important It is nonpartisan, and it deserves to have the opportunity to be debated.
0: That's David Shepard. He is the uh, MLA, uh, for the official opposition NDP out of Edmonton City Center, and Dunia Noor, uh, president of the African-Canadian Civic Engagement Council. Again, that web address, if you'd like to find them online, accec.ca. To the two of you, thank you for this. Appreciate your availability on the show, and we'll speak with you again soon. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Uh, that's Bill 204. We'd love to hear from you on this talk at RyanJesperson.com. I'd like to I'd love to hear from those of you. I mean, we talk about business and community leader, community leaders, people that are making decisions, people that are um, endeavoring each day to make a positive impact on their community. I remember last March. So, you know, we're talking like 14, 13, 14 months ago um, we had like this show has been uh, and it's been obvious to those of you that join us every single morning that are familiar with there's been some highs, there's been some lows. It's real life. It's real talk. Uh, we've missed the market. Sometimes we hope that we've hit a few bullseyes along the way as well. Um, uh, last March, we had some people whose opinions we really care about and, and whose takes and, and I keep using the word advocacy cause I mean it people that, that, that take action in their community and, and work hard on angles to impact those positive changes and that growth Uh, Reach out to us and ask what we were doing to ensure that there was equitable representation when it came to guests on this show. And not even just on subject matter, like, you know, when's the last time you talked about homelessness or when's the last time you talked about uh, truth and reconciliation or when's, et cetera, et cetera, safe supply, whatever you want to have, those types of conversations. But also the guest roster. Who are we reaching out to? Who are we talking to? Is there, is there, equitable representation when it comes to 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 gender to ethnic background to, to religious or political perspective I and mean, all these types of things and we went yeah you know like it's, it's on our radar all the time we're always in, and people said yeah but what about like tracking it you know what would you be able to tell us specifically uh what that looks like that that real talk guest landscape year over year over year and quite frankly these are the things that many audience members care about it's things that some sponsors care about and so we took that step. A little extra work on our part, sure. Is it does it provide great value to the to the show and we hope to the community to the audience? Absolutely. And that's something that's a small thing we don't talk about it much, but it's relevant to talk about right now. That's a step that we took as an organization uh, because we wanted to quite frankly give a damn about it. And we wanted to be able to say no, like it's not just all talk here. Right? We're actually putting some of this stuff that we're learning or some of the things we're talking about, or some of the things that we say are important to us that we hold dear and we're putting them into practice. And so that's one step that we're taking. I'd love to hear what steps you have taken in, in your home or your business, your organization, your community. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You know, we're really proud to be opening night presenting sponsors of this year's Northwest Fest. It's Canada's longest running documentary film festival. And Real Talk is really excited to be part of it. Number one, because it gives us some exclusive access to some of the big deals that are featured from May 5th through 15th at this International Documentary Festival, including, I was telling you last week about Ray Parker Jr., Uh, the legendary artist brought the Ghostbusters song to the world, but the success of that song overshadowed a really, really impressive career. Well, So the opening night film, Who You Gonna Call?, We're going to be there and ahead of time, Ray Parker Jr. is going to join us here on the show. We'll keep you posted. Make sure you subscribe to our Real Talk Sunday message, the email. You can subscribe off our homepage. We'll keep you in the loop and our Patreon supporters are going to have special access. We want to see many of you in that theater that night on opening night. You can check out all of the lineup. You can Learn more about the Rainbow Visions angle on this, the latest news. Find out how to attend. They're back with in-cinema screenings at northwestfest.ca. Athabasca University, Canada's online university. I loved the angle last week. We were able to remind you how much work and research they're doing, the resources available in the context of artificial intelligence. I mean, this is the future of employment for a lot of people, a lot of skilled and smart people. Athabasca University has so many different options, whether you're looking for these micro-courses or maybe you want to go with a full-blown degree, you can work at your own pace, pick the program and the pace that's right for you with Canada's online university. That's athabascau.ca. And our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge want to remind you that you've been hearing these stories of the past couple of years, selection really minimal at a lot of car dealerships. It was the COVID impact, the Suez Canal thing, the ice storms in Texas. It was like that perfect storm, really. Well, they're past it, finally. And they're able to tell you that by combining their two inventories in Sherwood Park and St. Albert, they can make sure that you get the exact vehicle you're looking for. With a team you can trust through the service relationship too, you can find St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Browse their inventory online under the Sponsors tab on our website, RyanJesperson.com. Well, you know, this has been buried in our discussion today. You know, the French president wins a second term. He's the first uh, French leader uh, to do so in 20 years. Emmanuel Macron, uh, the, the 44-year-old described as a centrist, says he will be a president for all. So that's a big story. Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter, it looks like. And so $43 billion bucks he's going to buy Twitter. to be one of the, the, the biggest, uh, in other words, richest internet acquisition deals in history. We've not yet talked about Coachella wrapping up this weekend. Uh, oh. Coachella down in Southern California, oh. and here's why. I don't know if you were checking the, the talk inbox where we get these emails, but I did. we did get an email from Aaron, Johnny, and it was based on kind of a throwaway comment from you last week about Coachella. Yeah. Remember this? I do. And, and, and you kind of said, you said, well, there's lots of stuff wrong. Okay. You kind of like mumbled, and then we just moved on. I apologize. We moved on. <laughs> why? Because I sort of thought Coachella would be, I thought that would be your jam. I mean, I could see you spinning records at Coachella, for starters.
1: It is, but it's kind of turned into a place where you're just going to take some selfies, you know? Mm. I, I think in the beginning years, it was it was a great place to see some amazing artists and connect with people, but now I think it's like, you know... It's too corporate? I, I hung out by the Ferris wheel and paid $40 for a vodka tonic. You know, yeah. it's like. It's... but
0: did you have the time of your life? I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Aaron reached out and said, I agree with Johnny that there are many things wrong with Coachella, but if you've never gone, you must... And I, I read her first sentence and I went, I agree. Mm-hmm. She says, we just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary there. How cool is that? Aaron says, our first time was to celebrate our 10th anniversary. And we went specifically to see the band Refused. And we, were, we got front row and we waited for them to come on and talking to the guy next to us was a math professor who was waiting for the same band. Went back the following year to see Modest Mouse and, of course, other Amazing. bands. Yeah, what a great band. Says, mm-hmm. this year, no real plan. But we went with friends, saw Run the Jewels, Fatboy Slim, SHM. We plan on going again soon. It appears uh, that it is mostly a young person's festival, (laughs) Um, Erin says. But not really. Uh, She says, you know, catching up on the Hurley Burley. You know, David Hurley's been on the show before. She says the former premier of B.C., Christy Clark, was there. Wow. I'd crush vodka tonics with Christy Clark. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. Oh, man, I've, you know what? I've never interviewed Christy Clark. I would love to. Really? Like, well, that's not not on this show anyway. I spoke with her like eight years ago, but we, we got to get her on Real Talk. Shout out, maybe she'll what come in. Do, you know what we should do is a roundtable of former premiers. That would be a cool roundtable. That would table. be awesome. Uh, anyway, Aaron says put it on your bucket list if you love music and the peculiarities mm. of the human condition.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe I just have FOMO. Maybe I'm just, you know, have you? So you've maybe never I'm, been? I haven't been to Coachella. Oh, so maybe man. that's my gripe. All right. Yeah, I we had. A, we, no, we went. We <laughs> went the year
0: that we saw the Tupac hologram. We were oh, there that incredible. year. Incredible. So yeah, it was like it was like everybody was there. Like yeah. Dre, Warren G, Snoop, Eminem, the Tupac awesome. hologram, Fitty Cent was there? Like it was really really wild. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, Florence and the Machine, uh, Black Keys. Uh, yeah, like really really cool. Sh- and 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 like. There's nothing wrong with the Ferris wheel, man. It was, the Ferris wheel was pretty cool in the background. We had, a, we had a good time down there. So I think you got to do it once. If you haven't been to Coachella, you got to do it once. Well, today is a big day uh, for somebody that I've known for a long time. He has hosted big time radio shows, drive time, prime time, in some of Canada's biggest sports markets, including Calgary, Toronto, and Vancouver. This afternoon, you will be able to listen to episode one of his new sports podcast focusing on betting and fantasy called the hedge it's a pleasure to welcome andrew walker to the show in just a second we'll check in with him but first take a look at this this is andrew walker for almost 20 years i've worked in canadian sports
5: media hosting some of the most opinionated talk shows in the country's biggest markets i've kicked some ass and i've had my ass kicked and i'm not done yet welcome to my new podcast Being a modern sports fan has changed. You're rooting for Nathan McKinnon tonight because he's on your fantasy team. You need Josh Allen to go off on Sunday because you bet the over. This is supposed to be fun, remember? Less yelling about the fourth line, more betting on the money line. I have gas left in my tank, and I hope you can join me. Big wins, bad beats, straight talk. This is The Hedge. Listen and subscribe today at thehedgepod.com.
0: There it is presented by Boston Pizza. Andrew Walker joining us live how you feeling this is like you know for, for an athlete the morning of a big game like you know you have butterflies or how you feeling today
5: Yeah it's good uh thanks for having me and thanks for all your uh, your belief in this as we uh, as we set it up I think um I've done a lot of first shows before right I I remember um you know working in at Sportsnet in Calgary and doing you know long form talk for the first time and- all the nerves that went into that and then starting at the legendary fan 590 in toronto and thinking man imposter syndrome i was way out of my league and uh you know then moving to vancouver and launching a new radio station there so i've done a lot of first shows this is a very unique first show today as I don't know. What are we venture capitalists? Is that what they call us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I think we have enough dough to be venture
0: capitalists, but but I but, do know that this is you know digital new streaming independent media. We're seeing mm-hmm. more and more so-called traditional or longtime mainstream broadcasters go down this avenue. You're a young guy. I mean, you've been in the business for a long time because you started young and you earned your stripes. But uh, when you moved on from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, you had a lot of options, right? You could have said, well, I'm going to go try to move back to Toronto or I'm going to go try to get on with a, you know, back on with like a TV station, whatever you decided to do this. What is it about this new style, this new medium, this new approach to sports talk that that really sort of got you at this point in your career to, to take a big flying leap.
5: You and I have always had these, these parallels, you know, uh, our the, our mainstream media careers, if you will, ended not exactly how we wanted it to. Um, but there's lots of ups and downs along the way. We've accomplished a lot of stuff. And, you know, I will always have a soft spot for traditional radio and television, especially radio. I think it's just such a, uh, a great medium. It's a throwback. But guess what? Times change. Demographics change. Habits change. Um, you know, today's 18-year-old is different than when our parents were 18 or when our grandparents were 18. That's just common sense. So we, you know, looked at all the, the factors involved and the direction that traditional media and what we're used to is heading and as much as you know careers in 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 that field ending up the exact way we want to at the end of the day it's just a head start on the way the world is going and uh, and that's what that's what this is this is uh this is a podcast about the new era of sports fandom and and it's less tribal. It's more about your fantasy team. It's more about, you know, betting on, on a player to score or, or betting on a team to win randomly every night. Access is better than ever before. Gone are the days where our parents only watch the Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada because that's the only game you want. You got, you know, you're able to see every team in every sport every night if you want. Um, so being a sports fan has changed and it's, it's just less about what we're Used to and and we're diving with two feet in.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's really neat to see you launching with the support of some big sponsors Boston pizza cool bet and I know like you've laid out the the trend of how people Watch sports. I'm going to say how they consume sports. It sounds like a more of an adequate word. Like people are obsessed and and people are checking. I mean, people can can wager on a daily basis. Fantasy has never been bigger. People's fantasy, football, baseball, hockey, and and the like. So how much does putting a show together for you now, how different is that than it was five or ten years ago? I mean, like people are going to expect every single day insight into some of the wagering angles too, right?
5: Yeah, you know what? It's For me, it, it's been a really interesting journey because it's it's not that much of a departure because, you know, there's this big push right now. You can't swing a dead cat without seeing a betting ad for a new sportsbook on TV. Who is, that? So who, overall... is who
0: are these people swinging dead cats? <laughs> no Sorry. I've never seen someone swing a dead cat. And if I did, I would call the police. You mean, who do you call first? <laughs> I would hope not to. Yeah, I would hope I not to have to make the I call. Should've... I should probably retire that. Truck, yeah. That one could be, be retired. Yeah. You, 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 you can't swing a Nerf baseball bat without hitting sure. yes. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, everywhere you look, there's, there's a betting ad and, and it's a little intimidating for it. I think uh, a lot of people and uh, you know, my thing is, you know, this whole thing It's like, Hey, sports betting is now legal in Canada and single game betting. And you see all this stuff. I've been betting on sports for 15, 20 years. It's always yeah. been a part of, of, of how I prep and how I watch sports. You would just do it you know, a little more illegally or through a bookie or through an offshore account or whatever. It wasn't that complicated. So now for me, I don't know, things haven't changed. And I remember I remember years ago, um, and it was the beginning, the downward trend of, of ratings and listenership with mainstream media and my company at the time, you know, which is basically, a, you know, let's be honest, a sign of desperation when they give us to employees. I had to fill out like this, this, almost a survey and it was like, how are we going to, and they you know, asked the employees and some of the hosts, how are we going to change this? How are we going to connect to the younger demographic? Which way do you think sports is going? Years ago, I said, betting and fantasy. Like, that's that's the direction it's going. It's, it's the only reason I watch sports anymore. It's betting, it's fantasy. And, you know, it, it, it took four or five years for, for um, you know, some of these companies to kind of edge that way. It used to be, you know, doing sports radio or sports talk shows. It used to be almost a faux pas to mention what the betting line was or talking about a guy in your fantasy team because it felt so niche. It's just not niche anymore. It's everything.
0: Yeah, when it, and it also kind of felt like a little bit, uh, like, I, I don't know, when, when people, you know, we talk oftentimes in politics and budgets and taxes, people call them the sin tax, right? The sin tax that's applied to alcohol, for example. And it also right. did kind of feel like the wedi- the the, uh, the wagering or kind of the betting talk was a little bit like, ooh, like, you know, it's there's kind of Vegas and people doing this, you know, the NFL wouldn't go to Vegas because of the betting and all this kind of stuff. And I I think that there's been a huge difference. I mean, when you talk about sort of like Stigma being lifted off things, I would say nice mug walks. I would say that the stigma has big time been lifted from betting. Uh, why do you think that is? Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. Because I-, I think people have have embraced the
5: idea that you know betting is supposed to be fun, and and there might even be a stigma as we launch this show today. And and you know, for some of your listening audience that's maybe going to tune in later today, this is not a show. Where it's like, hey, you know, we have the best experts, and we're going to give you the locks, and and we're all going to get rich. That's not what this is about. I I'm a pretty good sports better over the years. I understand how it works, but that means I I'll be honest with you, it means I break even. It's a great form of entertainment. Um, you know, I I I got my girlfriend to sign up on Cool Bet, and she got her free bonus code money, and every night, you know, she watches a an Oilers game or something, and she picks a player to score, and if he scores, she wins a few bucks. It it's so fun and this is the way that it's supposed to be this is the way sports fandom is supposed to be it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be entertaining um no you're not gonna get rich quick listening to the show that's not how it's marketed you know we're gonna make our bets we're gonna pick right, our you teams. we're gonna pick our players but <laughs> you might <laughs> and it's just gonna be it's just gonna be so fun to discuss
0: yeah and, and and don't come at you if you lose the big bet right yeah and don't ever bet more than you can afford to lose you have to have all well, these asterisks that- now
5: the, the tag that yes bet responsibly absolutely bet responsibly. the tagline of the whole the big the, the tagline of the whole show is is big wins bad beats straight talk and that's what we're going to get we're going to talk about sports there's obviously a component of sports betting and fantasy we'll still talk about the stanley cup playoffs which begin in a few canadian markets and in a week you know the the blue jays are hot nfl begins in the fall we can't wait to get to that time. Uh, and obviously, yeah, there'll be great big guests today. Dan Shulman, the, the legendary Hall of Fame bound Blue Jays play by play man is going to join me today on uh, on the hedge this afternoon and and then we'll. Go through the games tonight and kind of pick what we're going to watch.
0: Love it. Uh, TheHedgePod.com is where you can see it. I love this from Megan in our live chat right now. She says, I remember when Walker was in Red Deer covering the Red Deer Rebels. She says, boy, were those good times. You've you've been there. You were there through some of the – I mean, in Red Deer. I mean, they – Right around that time, they graduated some of some of their all time alumni. Right, I mean that was like double Dion Phaneuf, Colin Fraser, Vandermeer. I mean, like th- that was Cam Ward. That was that was a success- obviously. I mean, the Memorial Cup. You came right after the Memorial Cup. Did you cover that in Red Deer? Yeah, my first year covering the Rebels was
5: the the NHL lockout year, and mm-hmm. you'll remember that because it was our world juniors, just our best team ever. All the great players in junior hockey that should have been playing in the NHL stayed in junior. So my first year covering the Rebels. Yes, I you know, Dion Phaneuf was the best player in, in the Western Hockey League and he was playing for Red Deer. I'll talk about this today because interesting tie-in. Last night, Ryan Getzlaff plays his final game in the NHL. And, you know, that first year that I was covering the Western Hockey League's central division, you go down the road. So there's Dion Fanuf and Red Deer down the road in Calgary. There's Ryan Getzlaff and Andrew Ladd, who are unbelievable players down the road further in in Lethbridge, Alberta, Brent Seabrook was beginning beginning a uh, an unbelievable career with the Lethbridge Hurricanes the golden age that year of covering the western hockey league
0: yeah no kidding um hey pause for one quick second. When we come back, I want to ask you about Ryan Getzlaff, uh, whether or not you think that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you're a big baseball guy. I want to ask you for your take on the Blue Jays, and, and I want to ask you about the Stanley Cup playoffs coming up. It looks like there could be a collision in the second round that would that would see a battle of Alberta for the first time in a long time, but that means both teams have to get out of the first round, uh, and that includes the others as well. I want to ask Walks if he thinks they can pull it off. The show The theHedgePod.com. It launches today. Very cool stuff. Our hashtag, if you're following along with the conversations happening on our show, you know, is Real Talk RJ. That hashtag is powered by our friends at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. You want to maybe ramp up your Wi-Fi? You want to maybe open up the floodgates when it comes to the quality of internet that you're getting to your house, to your door? You want to stream without interruption? Check out Park Power's options right now. Internet, oh, yeah, and electricity and natural gas. You can compare rates easily on their website. You can make the switch over to them easily. And when you do, make sure you use the promo code 2022 dash real talk it gets you 70 dollars off your first bill it's like dinner delivered to your house 70 dollars off your first bill with the promo code 2022 dash real talk if you're more of a make your own dinner type person might we recommend Freezing brothers in 16 alberta communities johnny it's no never mind johnny you're not going to care about this one bit (laughs) Hey, Jespo. Yeah, what's up, boss? Uh, Hey, Um, did you know it's National Prime Rib Day coming up on April 27th? Is it? Oh, it is, pal. Yeah, thanks. Oh, thanks, buddy. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, John. You know, I'll catch I'll get this figured out soon. Uh, (laughs) Hey, John, they've also got Fresh Alberta Produce. I love it. And amazing Alberta-based vegan and vegetarian selections.
1: Handmade uh, pizzas, vegan right there. You, you can and, get them you to You and go your go wife hot. went down there just the oh, other yeah. day, right?
0: What would you think? We love it. Was that your first time there?
1: Absolutely incredible. Did, did
0: it blow your freaking mind? It's incredible. That's the South Edmonton location. When you walk in the door, we want you to walk right up to them and say, we're here because of real talk. You can find out more about where they are in Alberta, 16 locations at Friesen.com. And our friends at Infinity Healthcare are so proud to be using their personality matching service to find pro. Appropriate. Trustworthy and consistent home care for people's loved ones across the province. They are always hiring. If you're a caregiver with experience, if you speak a second language, if you bring a special skill set to the table, you could be the perfect fit for somebody looking for reliable home care. You can check out the career opportunities and what community engagement means to the team at Infinity Healthcare by visiting their website, infinity-8.ca. Andrew Walker, our guest, today launches his new sports podcast. It's got betting and fantasy angles at thehedgepod.com, The Hedge, hosted by Andrew Walker. So you watched Ryan Getzlaf through his Western League career, where, where a lot of people called him loaf They thought that he mailed it in. They thought he was a little bit lazy, and, and we didn't realize until we had the luxury of hindsight that it's because he was probably just too good for the league he was playing in. He went on to win a Stanley Cup. He's got unbelievable numbers. He never left the team that drafted him, the Anaheim Ducks. That's a rarity these days. Of course, wore the C for them for so many years. And he's an Olympic gold medalist. Does he go to the Hall of Fame? I I
5: think he does. Uh, I've gone, I don't want to say I've gone back and forth on this because I hate waffling on stuff, but I was always a, uh, yeah, that guy is a locked-in Hall of Famer and maybe one of those guys that you just need to watch. You go to HockeyDB and you check his numbers. I mean, it's 1,100 games. It's 1,000 points. Wasn't a big goal scorer. He only had about 280 goals in his career. Uh, But you look at those numbers, you say, ah, maybe he's a ho-hum guy. And then you watch him play. And the game always dictated how Ryan Getzlaff wanted to go. The puck anywhere it went would go through Ryan Getzlaff. He's one of the, the greatest setup men in his generation, maybe overshadowed a little bit by Joe Thornton. But you know, unlike Joe Thornton, Ryan Getzlaff lifted the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of our best players internationally. You know, in, in 2010 in Vancouver, I think maybe the best game that our country has ever played was that quarterfinal against Russia, where, you know, Ryan Getzlaff and Rick Nash and company came out in the first period and absolutely crushed the Russians up 3 nothing, and it paved the way for Sidney Crosby's golden goal. He won world junior championships. Ryan Getzlaff is a prototypical guy that you have to watch, but he's one of the best centermen in the NHL for about a decade. And also so he's from Saskatchewan, so I'll say
0: yes, Hall of Fame. Uh, Homer, Uh, you've got a Calgary Flames team right now that uh, appears to be built to contend for a Stanley Cup. Uh, although if there are holes to poke in that roster, I know you'll find them walks. Uh, but they're also in a situation where they might not have both of their 100-point players back next year, right? You've got Matthew Kachuck, you've got Johnny Goudreau, now could be the time to win in Calgary. And then you've got a team in Edmonton with two players well over 100 points. Leon settle now, I think, 55 goals, if, if I remember correctly. Connor McDavid is, is again, in you know going to be around that 120-point mark, which is, is really remarkable, likely will win the Art Ross Trophy. Um, These teams could run into each other in the second round, which would be absolutely unbelievable. Will both of them get to the second round? And if so, what do you think that looks like?
5: I don't see how it doesn't happen, especially if Edmonton clinches home ice here Mm -hmm. right away, and and they'll likely play the LA Kings in the first round. No Drew Doughty for the Kings. It's a winnable series for Edmonton. Calgary is is an absolute wagon, and if they were to lose to um, you know, either the Nashville Predators or the Dallas Stars in round one, it's, a, it's a monumental upset. Never before have we been on such a collision course for a battle of Alberta in the second round. And it's not once in a lifetime for guys like you and me, but it's pretty close. I mean, I don't remember watching a, a, a playoff battle of Alberta. You may be vaguely remember it as, as a young guy growing up in Calgary. Um, but I think it's bound to happen. The closest it came was that year where the Edmonton Oilers went on their magical run in 0-6. The Calgary Flames had a had a, a a game seven in the first round of Anaheim. If Calgary wins that game, if they win that series, we would have seen a battle of Alberta in 2006. But it hasn't been close since. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, these two these two teams are likely going to meet up in the second round. And poor Megan in Red Deer, Red Deer might be a pile of rubble if that
0: happens. What happens you know, if those two run into each other? Who come? Who makes it to the Western Conference Final? I think Calgary is going to be tough to beat yeah. for Edmonton. They, they seem to have their number.
5: A Can Calgary... If I'm Edmonton, I'd rather play Colorado than Calgary, oddly enough. Not that that can happen in the second round, but...
0: I don't know if I'd rather... Yeah, I, I don't know if you had to... Uh, that's kind of like pick your poison. Uh, the Avs of the Flames, I think both oh, of them could go to the Cup final so, this it's year.
5: It's Sophie's
0: choice, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me talk baseball real quick before we go. You got Dan Schulman on today. You're obviously a huge... Well, I know you don't like... It, it's kind of funny for people that that will get to know you as they start to tune into your show and you can subscribe and everything at thehedgepod.com. Uh, people realize that y- you, you do have teams you have an affinity for, but you're not like a real bleeding these colors kind of a guy. You're not really a partisan guy when you talk sports, but I do pick up that you're a pretty big Jays fan. Uh, has, has this team arrived? I mean, they've always been in an impossibly difficult decision. Is Could this be the year for the Jays?
5: They, they've arrived. There's nobody better in the American League. And the beautiful thing about baseball is that it's the ultimate sample size game. You play 162 and you don't really get lucky or unlucky. You know what? Maybe the Jays got a little unlucky last year because they had to play in three locales because of covid they weren't allowed to come across the border and as their manager said charlie montoya they finished one game out of the playoffs and he said i don't know if we would have won the division or won the world series or anything like that but if we would have just got to play our home games in toronto i can promise you we would have won one more game and i believe that uh and so this year it's been a great start for the blue jays they are i believe 10 and 6 after a tough loss uh last night to houston they play boston tonight There's no one better in the American League. They're just getting started. But baseball, a lot of things got to fall your way. You got to be healthy. You got to get it done over 162. And if you're good enough, you'll be there in the end. But right now, as far as uh, betting odds go,
0: they're the odds-on favorite to win the American League. Walks, it's a big day for you. We got to let you go get your game face on, get your head together. And later today, people can find The Hedge. Anywhere you find your podcast, you can look for them on YouTube, all of it. The best place to go to connect with The Hedge is TheHedgePod.com. We've been speaking with Andrew Walker. Break a leg, pal. Cheers. Yeah, there you go. Andrew Walker, good stuff. This is a a huge ad to sports broadcasting in Canada. And again, you know what I love? There was a lot of buzz when he announced on Friday. Did you see like a lot I was just of people, gonna say, like, a lot I've, of the blue check marks, as I've they say. I've never
1: seen, uh, it was close to a quarter of a million impressions. I was looking at some of the yeah. analytics across all of them. Uh, you got like
0: Elliot Friedman, all those guys. So, I mean, pretty much anybody. And,
1: Spectre, you know, Ferraro, when, they're all sharing it. So, Yeah,
0: which was great. And it, it goes to show, I think, the respect that he has in the broadcasting industry. Yeah. And it's also pretty cool uh, to see a new show launching independently like this under the banner of Relay, which we're all really excited about Uh, Again, thehedgepod.com You know, these shows don't happen Uh, These conversations Are impossible without the support of Sponsors like our friends at Eden Landscaping Whatever your vision They're going to execute it with precise Attention to detail Whether you're requiring full service landscaping I mean, maybe you've just bought a tear down And you're about to build your dream home Maybe you've bought your dream home But the yard needs a total overhaul This is right in their wheelhouse. Uh, They take you through from excavation to finished product. Whether you're looking for edible garden boxes, retaining walls, excavation services, stonework, outdoor kitchens, water features, Eden Landscaping does it all. Check out their portfolio and get in touch with them. You can get a free quote today by visiting landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Local Environmental want to remind you that they have been broadening not just their service offerings over the past while, but their footprint with regards to the communities they serve in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Seems to me there's an announcement every couple of weeks about a new acquisition they've made, a new community that they're serving with their vacuum trucks and their front load and roll-off bins, their water hauling, recycling, fencing, portable toilets, you name it. Johnny, if you're throwing Alberta's version of Coachella... <laughs> You need local environmental services at localenvironmental.ca, And don't forget, you can send us your trash talk email to talk at ryanjesperson.com every Friday, local environmental presenting that. And our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, unbelievable Blizzard lineup right now because they've got the standard, the stalwarts, and then they've got the special editions too, like the very cherry chip. Yeah, the very cherry chip Blizzard treat. They've got the Nestle drumstick with peanuts. How about the Cotton Candy Blizzard? You ever had that? I have not. Sounds incredible. i got to get in on a cotton. I'll take two. I might have to go pick one up today. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going on a road trip today. We'll see. Maybe I'll pick up a Cotton Candy Blizzard for my way out to Jasper. And then it'll be either at the Dairy Queen in Palisades, New Newcastle, Westmount, or, well, it won't be in Sherwood Park today, Baseline Road. I'd be going in the wrong direction. But the next time I'm heading east, Baseline Road, Dairy Queen, you know I'm going to swing on by and let you know how proud we are to partner with you. It's been a big day here. Obviously, we've got a lot to talk about. That's the case every single Monday. And I wanted to circle back on a story that we'll know more about it tomorrow. We'll know more about whether or not when Twitter's board has had a chance to talk, whether or not they're going to accept Elon Musk's offer. This is kind of a big deal. It's a big deal for for online debate and online discussion. In the so-called freedom of speech conversation, Elon Musk has long said that he believes that Twitter needs to be private Mm -hmm. if it's going to truly facilitate free speech. And a lot of people have said, yeah, but what does that mean? And at what cost, right? Because people who say Twitter can be a dangerous place. People feel like there need to be more... Uh, preventative or protective measures in place. I mean, people sharing spam. I mean, even of, of the really heavy and serious stuff, things like you need to keep things like child pornography and death threats off your social media platform. 100%. Right? And if, it's, if the accountability factors change with regards to what's acceptable and what's not. Now, I'm not drawing a direct line between Elon Musk and child pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. But people are concerned that there wouldn't be the checks and balances on Twitter, which whether you like it or not, is and, and Elon Musk said this himself. It's, it's kind of like the town hall, right? Yeah. I mean, he tweeted about this a while ago. So, so on March 25th, Elon Musk, from his account, and, he, and he's been relatively silent on this story today. Yeah. Obvious reasons, board talking, deal doesn't go through yet. Uh, but on March 25th, he tweeted, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. And then he asked his followers, do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? And he followed up and he said, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, And I agree with him there, and I think that there needs to be accountability there. He says, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. What should be done? He asked that on March 26th. So just about exactly a month later, that's today, right? April 25th, here we're talking. He asked a month ago, he just tweeted, is a new platform needed? Oh, no. Well, obviously he decided that a new platform wasn't needed, but maybe he needed to acquire this one. And so this will be a big move no matter which way you slice it. My unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll today, we've asked, how will Elon's pending purchase of Twitter affect your use or perception of the site? Not looking good. (laughs) So far, well, I mean, I actually think that this is, I don't know, I'd say with 845 votes, we've still got lots. It's only been up for an hour. Uh, 53% say I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that that number is actually probably a little bit higher. Sure. People that are like, yeah, like, yeah, you know, 34% of respondents say gross. I'm out. Like a third of people responding to it, which, which kind of makes me wonder if, if if the the gross nature of Twitter, and I'm looking myself in the mirror here on this one too, if the gross nature and some of the things that can happen on Twitter weren't enough to boot you out before,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Elon Musk's ownership did. That's an interesting one. Yeah, well, I'd like to pick the brain, maybe a real talk roundtable, three people who walked away from Twitter because of Elon Musk, and ask them why. Like, did he just rub you the wrong way? Do you believe that he stands for a certain? Like, there's a lot of people that are celebrating, and by the way, twelve and a half percent say love it. This is great news. So, so you know one and 8 or so are saying that. Mm. But if you look at who's celebrating this, like Jack Posobiec and, and uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, these are some pretty divisive people themselves, That's right? That's what scares me. And so she tweeted this morning, "Prepare for blue check mark full-scale meltdown." What what she means is the libs. She <laughs> means the left. She <laughs> means the mainstream media. She means the establishment. Prepare for a blue check mark full-scale meltdown after Elon Musk seals the deal. She says, and I should get my personal Twitter account restored. And so these are the stories that could be a, a, a big look uh, and a good look for a certain uh, group of fans of uh, mm-hmm. Elon Musk and The Purchase you know, more on the right wing. And uh, if you see someone like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene get her account back all of a sudden, it's not a good and sign. maybe they're aligning <laughs> themselves, you'd have a lot of people in the center on the left going, ah, this is not yeah. the tone that I'm looking for. So, yeah.
1: And I think why people are scared is because, you know, yeah, it is an app and there's free speech, and but it's not just where people poke each other and share funny memes anymore. People get their news from Twitter. It's a place yeah. that should have checks and balances. So I hope he keeps those in place. You know, the worst thing would be if he went in there day one and said, you know, this whole division, you're done. Get out. We're well, just going to let it run free. Right. Like, yeah.
0: So you remember I I, I referenced uh, earlier in the show that Washington Post column. Right. And we were talking about how how, you know, the people people are saying, well, I mean, t- Twitter, typically this could be a tough uh, avenue for Elon Musk to, to earn a bunch of revenue. Like if he hasn't mm-hmm. been able to do it d- thus far, if Twitter hasn't been able to do it thus far, then how's Elon Musk going to do it? And it may require, quite frankly, an overhaul of, of, of senior management at Twitter. But this is a big to overhaul an entity like Twitter while at the same time running Tesla and SpaceX. Yeah. You, you, I mean, if I'm a Tesla shareholder or a SpaceX shareholder, is there such thing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's tough to remember what he owns outright and what's traded. But, but I
1: know what you're getting at, though. Things are gonna going to well, fall through the cracks.
0: What's going to fall through yeah. the cracks or who, where is he going to be directing his attention and, and at what cost? And the guy's got a lot going on. So yeah. you can let us know what you think to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, we mentioned a road trip and wanted to let you know, Real Talk's still back at you tomorrow. We're going to be back on Wednesday, but I'm heading out to Jasper mm. uh, to be speaking at this community leaders camp. You remember we talked about yeah. community uh, back on April 7th, the Real Talk Roundtable. You can check it out and, and and what it means to build community, to grow community. I'm specifically going to be speaking on how do you communicate with uh, with uh, community, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll be live from Jasper. Real Talk will be Tuesday. Tuesday and Wednesday morning and really looking forward to that it's 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 with the exception of me isolating at home for COVID related reasons this is the first time that Real Talk's been on the road yeah so we'll we'll knock on wood and and set our expectations at a reasonable level (laughs) and look forward to a good broadcast I'm not gonna sleep tonight (laughs) we love you pal we love you the first show of every week our friends at kubi energy give us a reason to find optimism they they find us the silver linings they find us the good news stories we fill our buckets with a feature we call positive reflections and i wanted to focus this story out of grantham lincolnshire england this is a wild story a teenage treasure hunter by the name of george tyndale i always love when young people have the power names George I like that for a Damn. young guy yeah so he's a teenage treasure hunter and he combs river bottoms with a heavy-duty magnet well he found a safe literally like dredging or just like combing his you know his magnet just running it he finds this safe and so he gets help from his dad and they pull out this small safe out of the river and they manage to get it open they follow this trail of clues and guess what they find Oh, no big deal, a safe containing a couple grand. Yeah, that's right, the equivalent of $1,800 Canadian. And there were some clues in there too about who this might belong to. So 15-year-old George Tyndale reaches out with his dad and they find a guy by the name of Rob Everett. Well, Rob can barely believe it. He tells him that 22 years ago, the safe was stolen. Never thought he'd get it back. He said, I was amazed they had tracked me down. There are some really nice and good people in this world. They could have kept the money. They could have said they attempted to get a hold of me. Well, so Rob hooked them up with a small reward as it's being described, a small reward. I want to pick your brain on that in just a second. But here's the deal. He offered George a job. He says, when you leave school, if you ever want work experience, the offer is always open. Amazing. Turns out Rob's a wealth manager. And turns out George is interested in that. Cool. So this actually could be, bigger picture, a new career opportunity for a kid who made the right move and contacted the rightful owner of about $2,000 cash. Awesome. Now, we know, Johnny, you always do the right thing. But <laughs> it'd be easy say... at 15 years old to just...
1: How much money are we talking here again? About
0: 1800 bucks. Yeah, I'd probably return it. Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: 1800 if you get bucks. your eighteen
0: hundred bucks that you had written that off, it like... was stolen twenty two years ago. Which twenty two years ago, by the way, was would have been worth like thirty five hundred. But I digress. Yeah. Uh, so you, you your life has moved on. I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you're over it. Twenty two years later, and, and a fifteen year old kid gives you back your eighteen hundred bucks. What do you give him as a reward?
1: <laughs> a hearty handshake and a no! hug. I like think, 1800 bucks sounds to me like a rent payment, a mortgage payment. So, you know, if you found like a million dollars, okay, now you got to you got yeah. some thinking to do. But 1800 bucks, I think
0: halvesies. 900 for you, 900 for me. Let's do a third. I <laughs> <laughs> drives a hard bargain. And finally, I wanted to show off this team photo one more time. This is my positive reflection. My heart is full after three straight days running around downtown Edmonton, the Edmonton Convention Center, and, of course, Terwilliger Rec Center with 21 teams full of absolute beauties raising more than $1.3 million for Alzheimer's resources, families that are living with this devastating diagnosis. I'm so proud to have played on Team Cali Crush. Matt Cassian, the former Ottawa Senator, former Minnesota Wild, the big burly guy was our pro two and zero through day one we ran into a wall a goaltender we couldn't solve on day two Uh-oh. wound up with a record of two and one but a face hurting from smiling so big thank you to the real talkers that sponsored our team we see you and to everybody living with the debilitating impacts the devastating impact of alzheimer's we've got your back and we'll be back doing it again next year a shout out to the amazing volunteers and everybody that filled our buckets all weekend long Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to check in with an author that I'm really looking forward to speaking with. He's got a brand new book out, Why We Fight. Christopher Blatman out of the University of Chicago is an expert on conflict. He's actually an expert on violence mitigation. He's going to talk about how that leads to or can be avoided when it comes to war. That's coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk.
2: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lauren Sterlego, General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Tuvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member emerita, Julie Rohr.